Last week, we introduced the concept of the spiritual battle. And this week, there's a very important preliminary thing that we need to talk about before we get into the the different parts of the armor of God. And that is simply this, that you actually have to do this. It's not enough to listen to a sermon. It's not enough to read Ephesians chapter 6. You actually have to put these things into practice or it's not going to work. You can't fake your way through the spiritual battle. You know, how many people have faked your way through something? But when it comes to your faith in Christ, faking your way through is not so funny. How many people know someone who they know what to say, but they don't do those things. They don't do the right thing. It starts to not be as funny in the Christian world. And when it comes to the spiritual battle, It's very dangerous because faking your way through just doesn't work. You can't fake your way through the spiritual battle. You can't fake your way through a relationship with God. You can't fake your way through this. And so it will lead to serious problems. You know, Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears my words and does them is like someone who builds their house on the rock. When the storms come, the house will stand. But if you hear what I say and you don't do it, it's like building your house on sand. When the storms come, the house is going to fall. So we need to not just hear sermons on Ephesians chapter 6 and the full armor of God, but we have to actually do this or it's not going to work. James 1.22 is our key verse for today that all of this is being built on. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And this is something that I think is vitally important for the spiritual battle. You know, we can read Ephesians chapter 6 and we can preach on this and you might think that you've done something and now you're ready to do battle with the enemy. Well, unless you've actually done these things, not just read it, not just listened to sermons, unless you've done these things, it's not going to actually work. And that's going to be a serious problem. So we don't want to be deceived by reading scriptures and listening to sermons and thinking we've got somewhere. We have to go there ourselves, each one of us individually. So today I want to talk about three ways that normal people can kind of fake their way through with the spiritual battle, fake their way through in their relationship with God And we need to avoid these three things. So we're going to talk about copycat faith. We're going to talk about half-hearted faith. And we're going to talk about a la carte faith. So that'll be a fun one. Let's start with copycat faith. How many people have ever had their pastor go off, go to a conference on a new way to do church? And then they come back and they have a brand new idea and they just throw everything out. (laughs) And they do another thing like this worked really good in California. So we're going to do this. Well, it may work real well in California, but it may not work real well in Minnesota. Copycat faith doesn't work. And this has been going on for thousands of years. And I want to read a story of copycat faith from the book of Acts chapter 19. So let's read Acts chapter 19, 11 through 20. And then we'll look at some highlights from this passage. Acts 19 Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. 
It's amazing. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So these are not Christians. These are people who don't believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, but they're doing this anyway. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Shiva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Very interesting situation here in Acts chapter 19. The first part, we see God doing amazing, incredible things to the point where even aprons and handkerchiefs that Paul had touched were taken to the sick and to the, to the demon possessed and they were freed from their illnesses and their oppression. Like that's amazing. So should we, should we start a handkerchief ministry? You know, should we do that? It worked in Acts 19. Let's give it a try. No, that would be copycat. You know, we're not going to do that. Uh, It was an incredible time. It was an amazing thing that was going on. So other people saw how well it was working And they thought, we got to get in on this deal. It's like they had the conference, you know, come and learn how to cast out demons the Christian way. And they came to the conference and then they went back out and tried to do it. But the ones who went out to try to do it didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Let's put that verse 15 back up there. Verse 15. And let's look at the implications of this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know about, but who are you? So this means we can have a reputation in the spirit realm or not. The evil spirit knew Jesus. Of course, all of the spirits know Jesus. And these seven sons of Shiva were saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. So he says, you mentioned Paul. I've heard about Paul. You know, Paul is is somebody. He has some authority in Jesus. But who are you? Why would I have to listen to you? And then, of course, the man with the evil spirit, the evil spirit does not listen to them, beats them up, drives them out of the house. They flee naked and bleeding. So we need to make sure that we're not doing copycat faith. So how do we need to see this? What's the most important thing? Let's go to James 4, 7. And this is the difference between copycat faith and real faith. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There are three parts to James 4, 7. Part one, submitting to God. That's the first part. This is the part that the seven sons of Shiva skipped. They didn't submit to Jesus. They didn't submit to the truth of the cross. They just thought, well, it seems to be working. We'll use the same words that the other people are using and we'll try to do it. They didn't submit to God. They tried to just go straight to resisting the devil. So they, since they didn't submit to God, they just resisted the devil. Then the devil didn't need to flee. The devil could respond 
with beating them up. But here we see the three parts. Submit yourselves then to God. First thing, very, very important, submitting yourself to God. We humble ourselves before God. We ask for forgiveness from God. We pledge our lives to serve God. That's how we submit ourselves to God. And then we continue living that out. That's submitting yourself to God. It's kind of like joining the military. If you join the military, you're no longer standing by yourself. You're wearing a uniform that signifies that there is more backing you than just you. That the United States of America is backing you up. And if you are sent somewhere, then you are there on the authority of the United States of America. And if somebody wants to mess with you, there will be a response. You can call in backup. You can call in help because you're part of something bigger than yourself. When we submit ourselves to God, we become part of the family of God, part of the army of God, and we have backing behind us. So we're not just doing this on our own. So we must submit ourselves to God first. Then we can stand in the power of God. Then we have the ability to resist the devil and have him flee. Because let me tell you, I am no match for the devil. You are no match for the devil, but the devil is no match for Jesus. So we need to be in with Jesus or it's not going to work. So step one, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee. Once we are submitted to God, then we can resist the devil and the devil will flee. But we can't fake our way through submitting to God. That must be real. We must actually do that. Not just show up for church, not just quote a couple scriptures, not just kind of go through the motions. We must individually, personally submit ourselves to God. Then we can resist the devil and the result will follow. When this happened, when the evil spirit beat these guys up, it actually facilitated even greater revival. That's kind of a fun little side note to this story. If we go to verses 18 and 19 back from Acts, when people heard about this, Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. So instead of kind of pretending to be better off than they really were, you know, and putting on the good face and putting on the front, they're like, oh man, okay, I got to get real with God here, you know, and they confess to one another what they've done. This doesn't mean that everybody in a line comes up in front of the whole group and does that, but you're just not hiding anymore. You're confessing to other believers, hey, I need some help in this area. I've done this wrong, you know, pray for me, that sort of thing. And they're confessing to one another and they're no longer faking it because they know that faking it isn't going to work. It it didn't work for the seven sons of Shiva. It's not going to work for me. I can't fake this. I got to get real with God. So they would confess their sins openly to one another. And then verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And the value was 50,000 drachmas. Now a drachma was about a day's wage. So let's call that a hundred bucks, hundred dollars day's wage. That would be $5 million worth of scrolls that they burned. They just burned up about $5 million worth of stuff. So this means that they were getting real, even to great cost to themselves, to embarrassment. They're like, I don't care. I'm confessing my sins. I'm going to just openly say I need help with this. And uh, these things need to get out of my house because I don't need any scrolls in my house. I don't need any sorcery. I don't need anything that's not of God. So they took that out and they burned it. They were 
going all in. They were ready to make sure that their relationship with God was real and that they weren't faking it like the seven sons of Sheba. So copycat faith does not work. We must have a real relationship with God ourselves. You must have that real relationship with God yourself. You can't say something like, you know, in the name of Jesus that Pastor Mike talks about, it's not going to work. In the name of Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, the one I serve, who is standing with me and who is for me and not against me, in the name of Jesus, my Lord, get out. That you can do, but you must have it real yourself. A faith problem, first one, copycat faith. Not going to work. You're not going to win the spiritual battle with copycat faith. Then the second one is half-hearted faith. Half-hearted faith. This is also not going to work. You ever just kind of been going through the motions in life? You're just sort of mailing it in. You're not really very enthusiastic, but you're just sort of like, well, I suppose I got to do this. It's another thing I learned in college, how to do things half-heartedly and still get by. But a half-hearted faith, kind of halfway there, is also not going to work in the spiritual battle. We got to be all in. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and look at the letter to the church in Laodicea. What the Lord had to say to that church. Because this church is very similar to how we are in our world today. They were affluent, they were blessed, and they were complacent and didn't even realize it. So that's what was going on with them. Let's take a look. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. This Revelation 3.21 is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible, and it makes me kind of nervous. The picture in my mind is bowing before the throne. The picture in my mind is, you know, you've heard the song, I can only imagine, you know, wondering, am I going to dance? I, I am hitting the floor. I am 100% sure that I am going to be hitting the deck as fast as possible. And what does this verse say? To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. I can't picture that. That's an amazing thought. The generalization that we can glean from this is that God likes when we get the victory. God likes when we overcome. God rewards us when we persevere and get to the other side and we aren't crushed, but we are overcomers. God likes that when we get the victory. Let's dig into this section. Let's go back to uh, verse 16. 
Jesus says to this group, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Is getting spit out good? No, that's bad. We don't want to be spit out. So we need to figure out how to not be lukewarm, but to be hot or cold. Now, this is one years ago. I think it was misunderstood. They would say hot meant, you know, on fire for Christ and cold was like, don't like anything about God. Well, no, that's not the scale that we're talking about, the hot and cold. But ancient Laodicea was, a, again, a very affluent city. They had tremendous wealth. They had great commerce going on with textiles and with different medicines and things like that. And they had hot and cold running water. They had steam baths, you know, hot water coming into these baths and people would go there and they'd enjoy that. And they had cold water that was for drinking. So the hot water was good for bathing. The cold water was good for drinking. But the lukewarm water where the hot and the cold mixed together, that was in the sewer on the way out of town. That would get spit out because it came out of the sewer. Jesus here isn't saying, I want you to really love me or I want you to really hate me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to be purposeful and doing what you're supposed to do, not to be complacent, not to be asleep at the wheel, but going forward. Uh, Verse 17, the next verse kind of spells that out a little bit better. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. This is a blessed group of people, rich, acquired wealth, don't need a thing. How many people would be like, rich, acquired wealth, don't need a thing. That's me. However, they were blessed and complacent. They were blessed and didn't realize that their blessing was superficial. Their blessing was just material. Their blessing was just a comfortable life, but they were missing out on the greater things of God. I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Meaning that they were complacent. They weren't connected with God how they should be. They thought they had everything they needed, but they didn't. Their faith was half-hearted because they became complacent because of their easy lifestyle. They became spiritually lazy. The next verse, I think, is very, very deep. We'll get a basic understanding of it. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. There's probably a a huge amount of information in here. But what I understand is that they produced very fine linens in this city. And so the white clothes, they made that stuff. And salve for your eyes. They made the medicine that goes in your eyes. And they had gold, you know, they were rich. He's telling them to take things that they already have and to grab hold of them. So what do these things stand for? Buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. This is talking about storing up treasures in heaven, not just having treasures in this world, but having treasures in heaven. Investing in the right things so that we are a blessing and that we have then treasures in heaven. And, you know, like we have missions giving here, kingdom investments. We can give towards missions, all kinds of different things, because we need to be sharing with people who need help. We need to be part of the solution. When we have extra finances, we can share with others and that will store up treasures in heaven for us. And then the clothes, of course, we want to be clothed in Christ, put on his righteousness. We'll talk about that 
with the, uh, the breastplate of righteousness in a couple of weeks, and then vision to be able to see. Of course, they were not seeing what was most important. They were seeing the superficial. but They couldn't see into the depth of God's plan. We want to store up treasures in heaven. We want to have vision for the things of God. We want to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And if we're blessed, you know, there's many ways to be blessed. You can be blessed by having time. You can be blessed by having abilities. You can be blessed by having resources, financial resources. There's many different ways to be blessed. Why are you blessed? To be complacent? To be prideful? To be spiritually lazy? Why are we blessed? We're blessed to be a blessing. God gives us things so we can help other people. God gives us things so that we can be a benefit to someone else, so that we can be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. And that's what the people in Laodicea seemed to miss. They thought they were blessed so they could relax. They were blessed so they could become complacent. And Jesus is saying, no, you got to get going here. You can't have half-hearted faith. Then something interesting happens here in verse 19. Let's go to verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Let me ask you this question. What should you do if you get a wake-up call from God? Don't feel bad. Interpret it the right way. It means God loves you. God loves people that he rebukes and disciplines. If he loves you, he'll rebuke and discipline you. So Feel loved if you get a wake-up call from God, and then wake up, right? That's the main thing that you need to do is wake up if you get a wake-up call from God. Wake up. He's telling the church in Laodicea, look, wake up. Here's my wake-up call for you. Repent. Be earnest and repent. He's calling them up because he loves them. He's got a plan for them to be a blessing. He's calling them up. He does that for us. If you've gotten a wake-up call from God, feel the love and wake up. Don't feel bad. Just understand God loves you, and it's time to wake up. So we talked about copycat faith. We talked about half-hearted faith. Let's talk about a la carte faith. Like when you go to a restaurant and you can order each individual item separately. It's not that you order the big meal and you just you get all the different things that they bring but all its separate things. And this is something that I think can be a significant problem among followers of Jesus as they think that this is an all a cart process rather than an all or nothing process. Let's look at it this way. If you want to order your faith all a cart, you go up to the menu and you're like, okay, well, I'll have God loves me. I'll have some of that. That'd be super good. Forgiveness of sins would be great. Help me have that. Everlasting life. I'll definitely have some of that. Sacrificially serving others. I don't think so. Giving, tithing. I forget how that even get on the menu. I don't understand. I don't think that's really supposed to be up there. Yeah, I'll just stick with the God loves me. I'm forgiven and everlasting life. I'll just take that. Is that how it works? No, it isn't that we get to pick little pieces of it and have an a la carte faith, but the whole thing comes as a package deal. So we need to take the whole thing because if we want to take just bits and pieces, it's not going to actually work. And it really doesn't work in the spiritual battle. Let's take a peek at Luke chapter 11 verses 24 through 26. And Jesus here is describing what I consider to be a la carte faith. Here we go. Luke eleven twenty four. When an impure spirit comes out of a person. So this is the spiritual battles going on. There's a dark spirit in there, but it is 
driven out somehow. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Jesus is describing an impure spirit, a dark spirit coming out of a person. Their life gets better. They're managing a little bit better, but they haven't done something. There's something missing. Then the dark spirit comes back with seven more wicked than itself, and that person is really in a rough spot. What is this even talking about? It describes people, they want the quick miracle from God. They want the the demon cast out. They want the impure spirit. They want that. They want to be free from that. They want deliverance. They want their miracle, but they don't want to do the, the hard work of living for Christ and filling themselves up with the things of God, filling themselves up with the spirit of God, so that then when the impure spirit comes back to see if there's an opening, that they're full up. There's no room in the inn for the dark spirit. But instead, they didn't take the spiritual disciplines and the filling with the Holy Spirit and the walking with God on a daily basis. But they just got rid of that and then live in their life. And then the dark spirit came back. So we've got to do the whole thing. Don't just go for the quick answer and not fill yourself up with the things of God. You know, I believe in instantaneous miracles. I think those are great. I love when God answers prayer like that. I'm a huge fan of it. It's just so much fun. But we don't just get to go up to the menu and pick, I want instantaneous miracle. And we don't get to pick that and have it be separate. We need to submit ourselves to God. Then we can resist the devil. We need to take the whole thing. And some of it is going to be spiritual disciplines. It's going to be personal prayer. It's going to be feeling with the Holy Spirit and pushing out, have no room for any dark spirits because the Holy Spirit has filled up every little nook and cranny in our heart so that the enemy doesn't have a place to get a foothold. We need to do all of those things so that we are able to be secure in the spiritual battle. We need the full armor of God, not just some of it. The Sunday night services that'll be starting in a couple weeks, starting March 1st, that's basically a place where we want to just seek the Lord, just try to fill ourselves up a little bit more, fill ourselves up with the things of God. And so there's no room in the end for the darkness to come back. That's what we want to do on those Sunday nights. We're just seeking God. I invite you to come to those. But we need to put on the full armor of God, not just some of the armor. Not all a cart faith where we just pick the things that we like and ignore the things that we don't like. We need to go all in with Jesus. So don't try to fake your way through. You know, you may not understand everything, but ask a lot of questions. You have two choices. You can either go like, yeah, man, amen, and not know what's going on. Or you can ask some questions like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean resist the devil? How does that work? How did that happen in your life? What What does that mean? Ask questions. Don't fake it. Be inquisitive. And then if you find out that they're just copycatting somebody else, then you know they need some help too. And, but let's just be honest about this stuff. Let's find out the things of God. We don't want to do copycat faith. We don't want to do half-hearted faith. We don't want to do all cart faith. It won't work. It'll be frustrating. And then you might be tempted to give up because of the lack of lasting results. So we don't want to be there. But I think good, honest, solid people can fall into any of these three. 
You see somebody that you really think is great and they're doing things a certain way and you want to learn from them and you end up copying instead of having a real faith yourself. We all have our spiritual ups and downs and sometimes we're in a low spot, feel like mailing it in. And man, there's some parts of walking with God that are great. And there are other parts that are sacrificial and painful. I think we're all tempted to want certain things, but not want other things. None of those things, copycat faith, half-hearted faith, a la carte faith, they're not going to win the spiritual battle. The solution is all in faith. We need to be all in in our faith. Open the door to God. You know, burn the scrolls. Take hold of the new life in Christ. Our closing verse is going to be Matthew 16, 24, and 25. This is where your best life comes from. Matthew 16, 24, and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is part of being a Christian. Part of living for Christ is laying yourself down and doing what God calls you to do. But when we give our lives to Christ, he gives us something so much better. With that comes power in the spiritual battle. With that comes purpose and eternal significance. So we're going to pray, and I implore you to go all in with Jesus, to take that step, because half-hearted isn't going to do it, copycat isn't going to do it, bits and pieces isn't going to do it. You've got to go all in. Heavenly Father, you are so good, and we give you praise. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us here alone to fight the enemy. Thank you, Lord, that you guide us by your spirit. You guide us by your word, but you also back up your word. Father, help us. Show us. Are we copying somebody else and we don't have power because we're just sort of faking it? Or is our faith our own? Have we truly connected with you with a real relationship with you? Show us. Father, are we complacent? Show us. Do we want certain parts of walking with you, but others we're pushing aside? Show us. And Father, help us to believe that going all in is our best life. Father, you are so good. Help us to not be complacent. Help us not to fake it till we make it, but to be honest. Help us not to take some and leave some, but let's take all of who you are and walk fully into the calling you have for us. I pray a blessing over each one that's in this place right now. I pray your peace would be upon us. Whatever storms we're facing, that you would give us peace. Lord, I pray you'd give us joy in our hearts, a deep, lasting joy that is our strength, and that you would help us to see ourselves through your eyes, to see the love you have for us, the care you have for us, the hope and the belief that you have in us so that we can be filled up and have extra love in our hearts to share with anyone in this world that needs it, anyone in this world that needs to know that you care. Give us an overflow. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.